Okay, so we're in Psalm 116 this morning. Psalm 116, we're in the last division in the book of Psalms. We're in the fifth book of the Psalm. It runs from Psalm 107 to 150. And within that, we're, even a little, we're in a little smaller section. Uh, we're, we're in the Hallel Psalms. Um, the Hallel Psalms were uh, psalms that they sung during their high feast days. And um, that's Psalm 113 through 118. Um, psalm 116, we don't know who wrote it. It uh, kind of has some bits that make us think that uh, Hezekiah might have written it, um, and we'll see that in a few minutes. It it's kind of sounds like some things that David wrote also. We don't know who wrote it. But the theme is the blessedness of answered prayer. And uh, verse 1 really, um, verse one and 2 really is the summary of the whole psalm and all that has happened for the psalmist between him and the Lord and in his life. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Uh, really just makes a devotional statement here, right? Um, he kind of recounts the trial in some ways. Um, he heard my voice and my supplications. Uh, there was a deliverance. He heard me. And um, he has a response to that deliverance. He makes a personal statement. He says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. You know, every, every saint, uh, each one of us, we're believers. We ought to be able to say uh, that truly without hesitation, um, that I love the Lord. Um, you know, uh, th- there's... Um, there's a lot going, goes on in a, in a religious Christian setting like this, and, and there's, there's music, and there's um, sometimes you go to some other churches where they have kind of scripted liturgies and things like that. There could be really beautiful things to be said, but, um, you know, these four simple monosyllable words um, is pure worship and really is the highest that we can do uh, we could say, I love you, Lord. I love the Lord. I love you, Lord. A few things are simpler to say, um, but this is the highest ideal presented in Scripture, that we would be able to sincerely say, I love you, Lord. Um, and it's really, right, it's the first commandment. It's the first thing that the Lord tells us that we're obligated to, right, in the law, um, that you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus says that's the first commandment. And uh, it's commanded by the law, really. It's, it makes sense. God created us. He has, he has given this world to us. Uh, he has blessed us in every way. We should love him. We're obligated to love him. You know, but, but the law, the law can't, uh, imbue us with love for God. It can only tell us that we should love Him. It can't. It can't give that. It can't give us that love. Um, and so, though the you know we're free from the law, but the ideal is still there, right? Um, the command has been lowered from love the Lord to believe in the Lord, have faith in the Lord, and uh, He's lowered the standard there, so that all we have to do is believe. Really, um, you know, when, when we see that God has loved us and given his son for us, because we have violated that law, we haven't loved him with our whole heart, 
with our whole soul, mind, and strength. We haven't done that. And we understand that there's a penalty to pay for that. And it's right. There should be a penalty for that. And we understand because that, uh, that law comes from God, it's part of who he is, and that's his glory, his eternal glory. Well, there's an eternal penalty to pay. And uh, when we hear that gospel and we believe it, that Jesus paid the penalty for us on the cross, taking our sin for us, and then rose from the dead to prove that that's paid for, we believe it. And then he saves us. He gives us everything there. And, and out of his love, he does that for us. And then we see that, and then that inspires us to love him. Right? The ideal is still there. And we know that he, we, he loved us first. And so the scripture says we love him because he first loved us. Um, when we come to that understanding of his kindness, his mercy, his grace, Jesus in Jesus' death and his resurrection, um, we want to love him. And I think we all ought to be able to say um, sincerely that I love the Lord. You know, that's why you came to church this morning, right? Amen. Um, you know, you didn't come because you love Calvary Chapel, I hope. I mean, uh, you didn't come because you love the music as good as it is or you love the assistant pastor, which I would understand. But... Um, you know, um, you know, the point is, is because we love God, we want to be around people who love God too. And we want to express that love to him in worship and then in, in bringing our hearts and minds before him. He can instruct us out of his word. So there's nothing higher than this, really. You know what? In Psalm 116, I love the Lord, that's the only place in scripture where that's said. There are other places in scripture where it says, I will love the Lord. David says that. And there's other places where commanded to love the Lord. But this is, this is the only place that says that. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But he tells us why he loves the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Um, there's a connection between these things. Um, he hears our prayers and this guy must have been in something bad. We're going to find out that there was some really bad things encircling him. And he cried to the Lord. The Lord answered him. And the person, the author, saw a deliverance, miraculous way. And as he stood there and processed that, the Lord has delivered me. He realized, I want to love the Lord. Um, you know, that's a, that's a blessing of answered prayers. It inspires us to love the Lord even more. And as a result of that, he says, verse 2, he says, therefore I will call upon the Lord as long as I live. The therefore is connected to I love the Lord. Because you love the Lord, because we love the Lord, we should call upon him. Um, I call upon him as long as I lived. Um, you know, the first, one of the great responses to um, us seeing answered prayer ought to be that we would be inspired to pray more. Uh, you remember, I don't know if you do, uh, you know, I have a memory of the first time I understood the Lord was as a young believer, uh, you know, coming to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a moment like that where you understood God was listening to you and that you were in you know, almost face-to-face communion with God and he was listening 
I remember that. Boy, I was like, I was three feet off the ground. It was just a beautiful moment. Um, and I don't think we should ever lose touch with that kind of awe that God listens to uh, you personally. He listens to you and me personally. In a lot of ways, we, we ought to measure out our love for the Lord in a lot of different ways, but prayer is one way we can measure our love for the Lord. Um, we can measure our relationship to the Lord by our prayer life. There's a, and there's a lot of books, a lot of studies, a lot of good sermons and teachings that are out there available to us on prayer and, and written by people that are way out in front of me. And they have a lot of beautiful things and great things to say. Um, I'll, this is what I know about prayers. When I have allowed prayer, when I, when I come to the awareness that prayer has somehow slipped off the main stage of, of my relationship with the Lord, when it has just gotten pushed out because of busyness or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, at those times I know that I have let my love for the Lord go a little fuzzy, a little cold, and I've become self-sufficient. And I don't want that. I don't think you want that for yourself either. That you, wanna, you, wanna, you don't want to communicate to the Lord, I can do this without you. But that's what prayerless says. Prayerlessness says. Um, I don't want that. You don't want that. Um, prayer is a true part of our love life with the Lord now that we're his children. And that makes sense. You know, he, um, he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear my voice. Um, we have, you know, kids, grandkids, or, you know, kids we love. Um, we love to hear the sound of their voice. We love when they come up and talk to us, even if they're just saying gibberish. You know, they're little enough. They don't. When David was um, three and four, he'd be moving around here with me early in the morning, and, and I'd be moving a little too fast for him, and he couldn't keep up, especially going down the stairs and stuff. Instead of saying, Father, would you wait, please? You know, being three and four, I can't say that. He would, he would get it all mixed up. He would say, wait to me. It was pretty cute. I'm kind of sorry he got it, he got it figured out, but... Um, you know, he didn't really quite get it right. I would stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, let me, I'd probably pick him up and carry him. Um, even today, you know, David's eight and he's pretty much got the English language down now. Um, and, and there, there can be a lot of people who want, you know, want to talk to me, pray, things like that. And that's great. I want to hear, I want to listen, I want to pray with people. And I might be listening to somebody who, you know, very serious thing and I'm concentrating and along comes this little voice, Dad, 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 on the side. Oh, my gosh, my attention goes, wants to go right to him because he's, he's got that entrance to me as parent and child. And, and it's really hard. You know, that, that thing of a father, well, it's the father in heaven, you know. He has that kind of attention for you. He's got a lot of stuff going on, but he's not limited in any way. When you call out to him, you have his full attention. And, uh, of course, the Lord is infinite. And he doesn't um, suffer from any limitations of mind. We can all be praying to him at the same time and have all of his attention. You know, I think behind all of these scriptures are talks about prayer. And there's lots of them. Um, you know, there's prayers in the, in the Old Testament. There's prayers in the New Testament. Um, I think, you know, just behind all those, you know, devotionally right behind all those things is um, the Father in heaven uh, saying 
talk to me. Uh, I love you. I want to hear your voice. I know you're not going to say everything perfectly right. That's okay. Just talk to me. Um, you know, we, we don't say everything right when we talk in prayer, but that's okay. There's, there's a promise in Scripture about that. Romans 8, 26, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. He'll translate for you, okay? Talk to him. The Lord wants you to talk to him. Sometimes I think we don't pray. Um, there's lots of reasons, you know. Um, we don't pray, I think, sometimes because it's easier um, to not pray because prayer is so hard on our flesh life, isn't it? When we pray, boy, it is just putting the pain on the flesh. <laughs> really, there's no option for our, for our flesh but to die when we pray. And I think sometimes it's easier to just leave our flesh life alone and let it have its way and so we don't pray. We have to be deliberate in our times of prayer um, because of that. Because of that. Um, but um, prayer is an expression of our love life with the Lord. Psalm 116 is an expression of that. Here's, here's what's going on in his life. Verse 3 and 4, he recounts the events. He says, The paths of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. Ooh. Okay, he's, he's saying, there is death right there. There was something there that I was about to die. Something in my life was about to die, maybe... Maybe he had, um, we don't know, you know, right into David's life, there's lots of times that could be. Hezekiah's life is famous for being right on the edge of death and then brought back from there. He says, I found trouble and sorrow, verse 4. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Okay, verse 4 has a, a... recanting of a recounting of how he prayed to the Lord and it's kind of pushed into too formal of language there um, if you have the King James it would say oh Lord I beseech thee deliver my soul really in Hebrew it's only four words there uh, one of the words is the name of the Lord one of the words is kind of an interjection like ah I mean really and the other two words are help me <laughs> Uh, it's, I think this is too formal here. It's really just an emergency prayer. Ah, Lord, help! You ever been in those situations? All you can say is, Lord Jesus, please help me. Okay, that's the kind of prayer. Don't get lost in the formalities here. It's not really that formal. Verse 5, now, he recants, I mean, recounts, um, um, what happens? Let me let me go back to verse four though here for a second. Um, you know, um, he really says, "Just get me out of this now." And he says he called upon the name of the Lord. Um, you know, when we've done some uh, relief efforts and traveled some places to help clean up after some disasters, um, we're going to see this phrase repeated over in this in this prayer, and that's very common when somebody comes to the Lord in a, in a deeper way. Um, you frequently you'll see this uh, phrase, I called upon the name of the Lord. And um, it's, it's a, the meaning of it is um, 
that I went to the Lord in a deeper way and I, and I asked him for something I'd never really asked him for before and I needed him in a deeper level. Uh, like I said, in, the, in the, the disasters that we've gone to and cleaned up, we heard that from people in testimonies when they, they were right on the edge of dying and, they, and as we were there kind of helping them you know, rearrange some things because they lost everything driving around, their, their stories were just like this. Uh, you know, I'd always known the Lord, I, I, these kinds of things, but I'd never called upon the name of the Lord before, and I did then, and he rescued me. Um, it's amazing how a little bit of pain and suffering, a little bit of danger, maybe something's about to die in our life, really goes towards improving our prayer lives. We, we kind of run for safety into the arms of the Father. Again, I, I remember I had a, a birthday, and um, somebody got me one of them singing gorilla grams. You know, you always dread the guy. It's your birthday. He walks into the room. You know it's for you. Yeah, I don't want this. I understood it. I understood exactly what it was. It was a guy in a costume. He's going to sing, and I'm going to be embarrassed. David was with me, and he was probably three. He'd never seen a singing gorilla before. Okay, when that walked in the room, he, all he knew, I, I knew it to be a funny light, you know, I, could, I, can, I knew what it was, I could process it. He could not. A monster stepped into the room when he saw that thing, and he ran screaming to me and just about tackled me as much as a three-year-old can because he knew it was safe with me. You know, uh, I think sometimes the Lord allows a monster to step into our life so that we will run to him in new ways. And um, that's what happened to this guy's life. Um, so verse 5, 6, and 7, he gives a summary of the things he has learned from this. Remember, he said the Lord delivered him. He says, gracious is in the Lord. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Um, the bottom line of what he's recounting to us is verse middle of verse 6. I was brought low and he saved me. Uh, I got into a bad situation and I asked the Lord to get me out and he did. The first truth that he learns is right before that. The Lord preserves the simple. Now he has to be talking about himself. Right? Why would he, he wouldn't be talking about somebody else in, in the trial. It doesn't make sense. He's talking about himself. He calls himself simple. The word simple there means easily deceived, easily fooled. Someone who just doesn't have the knowledge that they need to avoid this stuff. And he's saying, that was me. Boy, I was easy. I was such easy pickings for that moment. And the idea was, uh, you know, I did it to myself. I just didn't know enough, and I got in a situation where uh, it was my fault. Um, it sounds like he got into something that almost killed him. Um, you ever been there? You ever, you ever done it to yourself and had to have the Lord deliver you? Um, you know, the, I don't know, maybe this is falling on somebody that's that way right now. You know, the Lord wants to deliver you. Um, you know what? He has enough mercy, enough grace, enough power for your situation to change it if you'll just go to him in prayer and ask him to help you. So the Lord preserves the simple. 
He's standing by, ready to rescue. Second truth he learned is verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. He found the help and deliverance he needed. And he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he didn't deserve it. Um, he is able to say something about the nature of the Lord here, right? The Lord is gracious and merciful. Um, he got into the situation. It was his own fault. And he went to the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, I'll rescue you. There was no condemnation. There was no pointing of fingers. There was, let me rescue you. Um, you know, grace. We know God's grace is getting the good that is not deserved. This guy did not deserve to be rescued. Nobody deserves to be rescued. I didn't. I, many times in my life, the Lord has had to get me out of situation. I didn't deserve it. Many, you know, that's a testimony of, of everybody here. We did not deserve the good that the Lord was willing to give. That's grace. He gives us the good we don't deserve. And mercy. Um, what we deserved was to be left there, to suffer the pain. More than that, right? What did our sins deserve? And he didn't give it to us. He didn't give it to us. And it was all done righteously. Yes, the Lord is gracious and righteous. He didn't, he didn't uh, do it in a way and just overlook justice here. No, he solved it and was perfectly righteous, perfectly just. How did he do that? Well, you know, it's because Jesus took it all. Uh, Jesus paid the penalty. We get into the situations, we do it to ourselves. We're guilty and we go to him. And he helps us because Jesus took it all on the cross. Um, You know, God's nature um, of being gracious and merciful is learned in new ways when we get into trials and need to ask the Lord for help. Um, That's the testimony of going through trials, increasing our prayer life, and learning about the, uh, the nature of the Lord. Um, sometimes the great trials, you know, they take us to new places in those things. They bring us right to the edge of what we thought was all we can get from the Lord. And we have to step beyond those. Lord, I need more grace. I need more mercy. Do you have more? And he answers us all the time. Yes, his grace is sufficient. He's always there. We find him gracious and merciful. He helps and we learn. In verse 7, he, um, he, the language changes a little bit. He says, to himself, he says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Uh, he's not speaking to make a point to others. He's kind of talking to himself. He's coming back to himself. A little bit of learning going on here, and that's appropriate, right? Uh, when we get into places where <laughs> we need the Lord to help us out and deliver us, Okay, it's time for some self-examination and a little bit of instruction here. Um, it's definitely a need for that, and all of us uh, commune with ourselves, redirect ourselves according to how we have seen God deal with us. Um, we're kind of responsible for learning, right, in those moments. So here's what he has to say. He says, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from failing. And now he starts to make 
statements of response to all this. What am I going to do in light of all these things that the Lord has done, what I've learned about him? He's got, um, he's got five things he's going to say through the rest of this, this psalm. I wills. Verse 9, I will walk before the uh, Lord in the land of the living. Um, walk before the Lord. Um, we've heard that from the Lord before. If we've been through us through the scriptures, you know, you can go back to the time of even Abraham, where Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord showed up and said, walk before me and be blameless. Um, uh, it's just a response um, this kind of statement, I'm going to walk before the Lord. It's a, again, it's a statement of personal commitment. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life in front of him, consciously aware of his, his, his presence in my life. This is what Jesus called, right, his disciples to. He said, follow me. Very similar language. Uh, you'll find a similar language back in Psalm 63, David said, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows hard after you, or close behind you. You know, I, uh, I think it's very appropriate to make statements of personal commitment to the Lord in our prayer. Lord, I want to follow you closer. Verse uh, 10 and 11, he says more. He says, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, language here is kind of hard to follow. If you pick up some literal translations, you'll get some different renderings of this language. People struggle to interpret and, and translate this. I'll give you my best shot. Um, I think it might be better to render this uh, in a way that we understand it. Um, you might want to say, I kept on believing even when I said... I am completely crushed. Even when I was rash and said, no one can be trusted. Um, okay, that, again, he's remembering how he was in the middle of his trial and, and before he prayed. You know, it's really easy to get into those painful situations and lash out with your tongue in unfair ways, painting with really broad strokes that are totally unfair, we're judging the situation before it's, it, the Lord has, has worked. We've seen the Lord work. I think what he's, what's on display here is, um, you know, something, something along these lines. Um, I wish I had kept my mouth shut to people and said more to the Lord. Um, so, uh, you know, that's common. I, that feels really familiar to me. I don't know about you. <laughs> but uh, verse 12, he says, and he asked himself a question. The only time a question is asked in this psalm. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? And he answers that with another one of his I will statements. Uh, this kind of question, um, familiar. Um, he answers it in verse 12. He says, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Um, something of this nature was asked of Jesus. Someone came up to Jesus one time and said, what shall we do to work the works of God? He answered, this is the work that you believe on him whom he has sent. Um, I think it's, the answer is exactly the same as what's being said here. Um, 
you know, put this into the Gospels, and we'll get an understanding of what's being said here. Remember, we are on Palm Sunday. Today's the day when Jesus presented himself as the Messiah of Israel, fulfilling scripture, Daniel chapter 9. He walks into Jerusalem, walks, he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem, uh, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy that the Messiah would enter into uh, Jerusalem um, and be presented as the Messiah uh, in, in fulfilling that prophecy out of Daniel. Um, and in that, in that time, uh, uh, and we'll look, up, look at that later in the week, um, remember on the last night he's with his disciples um, in Matthew chapter 26 it says, they celebrated the Passover meal, and then um, it says they sung a hymn. Well, um, these Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, were actually sung during the feast days, the Feast of Dedication, New Moons. Um, it, was, it was sung during the day, daytime, but only once per year at night, and that was during the Passover. Uh, well, Psalm 113 and 114 would be sung before supper, Psalm 115 through 118 would be sung after supper. They would have sung Psalm 116 right after the Last Supper. Remember what happened there. After supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. Um... You know, uh, he spoke about um, a cup also uh, when he was in Gethsemane. When they, after they left and they sung that hymn, they went down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know that um, when he was alone and praying, that he prayed about a cup. He prayed about the Father taking a cup away from him. Father, if this is possible, let this cup pass from me. A couple of cups are, are on our attention here. Um, there's the cup that he will drink, and that's the cup that we are owed. What we are owed is the judgment for our sin, and he is going to take that personally and drink it down completely and bear the sin that we have committed, and he's going to bear it in his body on the tree and suffer the penalty for it. That's the cup that he took. Now he offers us, as in 1 Corinthians 11, he offers the cup um, of uh, salvation, as it's said here. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? What can I give the Lord? What can I do for the Lord in response to him answering my prayer, to him being good to me over and over again? What can I do? I can take that cup of salvation. What does that mean? It means I can believe him for what he has done and what he has said. He took, the, he took one cup so that we could have a different one. What can I do in answering uh, his mercy and his grace to me? I can believe him. I can respond to him with faith. Call upon the name of the Lord. I will pick up that cup of blessing that he has bought with his blood. And I will thank him for it.
I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Um, What am I going to do? I'm going to believe him. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to walk in faith. And I'm going to ask more of him. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, you're going to buy me this way? I'm your problem now. (laughs) 100% yours, Lord. You deal with me and I'll trust you. I'm going to be calling upon you a lot now. He wants that. Nothing will bring him more joy than have you call upon him, us to call upon him all the time. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. What that means is that, um, again, in response to answered prayer, to this deliverance, this blessing of answered prayer, I will pay my vows. It's very common to get into a a heavy situation and say something in some act of devotion. Lord, if you get me out of this, I will, you know, and fill in the blank. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Um, The scriptures say if you've done that, you you should follow through with that. You should complete that and, and hold that as something that's valid and something you're obligated to. The Lord heard that. It's better to not vow and to just, the New Testament says, just give your life to the Lord and live for him. Don't make any vows. But this is what he's saying at that time. I'm going to go forward in the Lord now in the presence of all his people. I'm going to be around those who have a similar relationship with the Lord as now I do. And then he's, this funny verse, verse 15, where does this come from? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It was a nice psalm about prayer until this. Uh, what is this about? It seems like, seems like it's just kind of stuck out there like a sore thumb. Um, really, I think this is just a bit of beautiful sensitivity on the part of the writer um, to those who don't get the answer after the same manner that he got. He got in a situation where uh, he was about to die. He knew he was going to die. That's what it sounds like. Something in his life was going to die. And the Lord miraculously intervened and changed it in a moment of time. Here in the church, you know, we have had a lot of people come forward and be prayed for. The doctor's given them the, the diagnosis you don't want to hear. And... Uh, people have come forward to be prayed for, and we've prayed just as sincerely. They have prayed just sincerely. We've seen miraculous deliverances, perfectly clean health records after that. But we've seen people the Lord has chosen not to heal, and they have to walk a very different path. And um, I think this is just some sensitivity on the part of both the writer of of the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, too, because it's recorded for us. Lord, in his perfect wisdom, his perfect knowledge, sees that what's best for some lives is to be healed in this moment of time. And what's perfect in his wisdom and in his love and in his plan for another life might be to not be healed. And um, so we don't want to be left there wondering why was this not answered and this was. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Um, you know, death isn't precious to us. It isn't welcome, not in our sight. Um, 
But, you know, the statistics are shocking. Of, of all your 200-plus Facebook friends, they're all going to die, um, unfortunately. Uh, death hurts, and this is separation, right, that can't be remedied here on earth. Death is precious in, the sight of, in his sight, I think, because he sees both sides of it. Um, he sees not only this side that we have to go through with the grief, with the separation, but he sees the heavenly side of it perfectly. Um, he sees his child lifted out of trials and suffering and maybe long-term lingering decline, sickness, sadness, um, out of pain now, out of persecution. He takes them and sets them into perfections and glory, brings them home to be with him in his glory, to see him. That's a precious, that's a rare and extremely valuable thing. That is precious. And uh, he sees it because it is so valuable, he's going to manage it for you. You know, you ever had anything, something really valuable? You turn it over to somebody who can manage it, who understands it. Okay, the Lord is in control of your death. And he's going to use it in his time. Um, You know, uh, eventually, um, all of us saints are going to be gathered to him uh, in joy. And there's going to be no more death. And there's going to be no more sorrow nor crying. When we get there, that joy, that reality, is going to overwhelm anything that's happening on down here. And all the grief, all the separation, all the loss is going to be eclipsed and gone forever. And um, so he sees that, and he knows all that now. And so the death of his saints, the death of his child is precious to him. Some get that prayer answered miraculously. Some don't. Don't don't misunderstand that. Don't let the enemy misinterpret that for you and, and force a bad interpretation on that, on such an event. We don't know why some live, some die, but the Lord has this in hand. So, uh, verse 16, 17, he says, Lord, Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Here's another way we can speak to the Lord in light of answered prayer. We can commit ourselves to serving him, to be his servant, remind ourselves of this always, really. We're just his unprofitable servants. Um, Luke, right? Jesus tells us that in Luke. Um, so let me ask you this. In light of all the Lord has done for you, are you willing to do what he wants you to do? Do you know what he wants you to do? We ought to respond to answer prayer by obedience. Yes, obedience in the plain things of Scripture is the first place to start. What has he said about Keeping our bodies, keeping our bodies pure for him, um, you know, putting away sin, putting away sexual morality, putting away uh, all those things. Those are plain. We can obey him right away in those. We want to commit ourselves to those in light of answered prayer and his grace and his mercy. Right there, first steps. Um, Here's another way I think sometimes this comes out in a trial. People say, how do I get through a really bad trial like that? Well, you pray and you obey. Just obey your way through a trial. 
Maybe that's the meaning of this trial, is for, for someone to stop doing what got you into the trial. I'm your servant, Lord. I'm going to turn this around and start obeying you. You have loosed my bonds, so I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Um, you know, he tells us how to live for him in, obey, in obedience. Um, we ought to be grateful right away when he delivers us um, and he sets us free from the penalty of sin, when he, when he answers our prayer, when he answers our, our, comes to our situations and changes them, we ought to be very, very thankful. And we should maintain that gratitude. Um, we should stay in, in close contact with that. Um, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, very important to maintain gratitude towards the Lord. You know, this is really um, the work of the Holy Spirit, um, um, maintaining a new sense of gratitude in our hearts and minds. He says, I will uh, call upon the name of the Lord. Hey, that's the fourth time in this psalm we have heard that. Apparently, this is really central to what has transpired in this guy's heart. Um, Again, the work of the Holy Spirit, impressing upon somebody whose heart and mind now has been maybe a little more free through this event, a little more clear that, you know, the communication is kind of open and clear in some ways because of these moments of answered prayer. Um, uh, when he says, I will call upon the Lord, I'm going to commit myself to leaning on you in greater and more deeper ways. He wants you to do that. He wants us to do that. He wants to help us, give us that, uh, give us that help. Maybe that trial has, and, and that answered prayer, um, maybe this is all, all that trial was about. It's just to increase that bit of personal devotion to the Lord. Lord, I'm yours in a new way now. Really ought to thank the Lord for that. That's a beautiful or rare thing. So he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. He finishes with praise the Lord. Pay my vows. Um, Again, we need to remember uh, times, these kinds of times, the Lord answers prayer. We see new things about him, Uh, especially at this time of year. You know, it's kind of a... It's a unique situation when uh, the alignment of Scripture lines up with the calendar. We are in the Hallel Psalms, Wednesday and Friday, and then next Sunday with uh, Easter. Um, we're going to be in the midst of um, some very prophetic psalms about what Jesus did on the cross and what he said and what, he, what happened. Um, and when we see those, those things clearly again... Um, You know, though he's always near, um, we need to remember those truths that we can leave these moments of seeing it clearly again. How much we do love him. How much we want to love him more. Um, It's better not to vow. It's better to just respond to him in faith with love and obedience. 
And uh, very common and very good to make a deeper commitment to him. Just out of love for him, for what he's done. If we're seeing it again, if we're seeing it again anew for the first time, praise the Lord. We'll keep that fresh and we'll keep that new. We'll pay that. We'll, we'll keep that vow, kind of quote, quote unquote. And we're going to be around people who are doing the same thing. We're going to be around those who are loving him and serving him. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We do love you, Lord. We want to love you more. Lord, you have poured your love into our hearts. And we want to thank you and praise you. Thank you for the ways in which you've answered prayer. Thank you for those uh, times when you didn't answer prayer in your wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen us to love you, to serve you, and to follow you in deeper and new ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.